Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about infertility and adoption. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio, or uh, whatever device you are listening to, however you've accessed the show, uh, you can. there's usually a subscribe button. Just click that sucker and you will be able to hear about each of our shows. Today's show will be about egg freezing. I am Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both infertility and adoption. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring has a Heart Plus pharmacy savings card, which helps patients, both cash-paying and insured, save money on their fertility medications. To get more information on the Heart Plus Pharmacy Savings Card, talk with your doctor or go to the Faring website at faringfertility.com slash heart. If you have enjoyed this show or other shows and you want to help us grow, please rate this podcast on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer or your phone or your tablet, just type in Creating a Family, then rate it. And if you've got an extra minute, we would really appreciate it if you would leave a comment as well. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. A recent blog that you might enjoy was, Why Them and Not Me? Railing Against the Unfairness of Infertility. Uh, we've had a fun discussion uh, about about this, the green eye of envy as it relates to infertility and how it can affect our relationships. Uh, we'd love to have you join in on the discussion at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors and other sponsors, including Fairfax Cryobank. Fairfax has been a leader in sperm donation for over 20 years and is dedicated to supplying updated, verified, and accurate medical and personal information on their donors. We also have Servi Massey Fertility Institute, founded on the idea that fertility treatment should be more accessible and affordable. Doctors Massey and Servi have been well-known pioneers in IVF, and they now offer a low-cost IVF program. As you just heard, Creating a Family is a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One way you can help us is by sorting, supporting those who support us. You just heard about a few of our gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors as well. So if you are looking for an infertility clinic or an infertility uh, doctor, infertility attorney, uh, a sperm bank, or an infertility therapist, or donor or surrogacy agency, please make your first stop the Creating a Family database on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, number of cycles, just a whole host of criteria that we think are important when choosing. And by using these databases, you support those who support us, and we thank you. 
On today's Creating a Family Show, we're going to be talking about egg freezing, both for fertility preservation as well as for egg donation. The advances in egg freezing in the last couple of years have been huge. Uh, Our guest today to talk about both these advances and and where they see the future going are Dr. Dan Shapiro. He is the Medical Director of Reproductive Biology Associates in Atlanta and the Clinical Manager of My Egg Bank. He is board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology as well as re- reproductive endocrinology. We also have Dr. Pat McShane. She is Associate Director of Fertility Preservation at the University of Colorado Hospital and has served as the President of the New England Fertility Society. She is the Medical Director of the World Egg Bank. Welcomes Dr. McShane and Shapiro to Creating a Family. Thanks for Thank having you. me. You know, I uh, before the show we were uh, just I was mentioning the not just the advances in egg freezing have have been so huge and just and se- and seemingly so rapid, but the uh, the the interest that it, that we are seeing certainly in our audience uh, and the number of questions we have on egg freezing has really been has really been interesting to me. It's been the phenomenon the the growth has been phenomenal. Um, Dr. Shapiro, are you seeing that as well? Uh, and 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 has the has has the uh, rapidness of it of the interest surprised you, or or were you expecting it? Um, well, th- we've seen growth in uh, people asking for fertility preservation probably for the last three or four years. Um, it's not surprising, but uh, uh, one thing that we are noting is is that even though more people are coming in to talk about it, about the same number actually going through the procedure. Once they hear everything involved, not everybody who's inquiring or showing up is actually deciding to go forward. Yeah, yeah. I think that that, and that's one of the things that uh, I think a lot of times people don't understand. So actually, let's, that's, a, um, that's a great segue. Uh, to, to let's, let's just kind of walk someone through that if you're thinking about preserving your eggs, uh, and and we're going to talk in a little bit about who should be thinking about that. But let's just say you're thinking about preserving your eggs because you're not ready uh, to uh, uh, be pregnant now or not ready to parent now. What is the procedure, Dr. McChain, uh, for a woman who is thinking about freezing her eggs? What does she have to go through in order to to freeze her eggs? I'm assuming from the nature of your um, scenario here that the woman does not have a partner and if she does have a partner, then I think the, a different set of options is on the table. But let's assume that she does not have a partner and that she is healthy, that there's no medical problem like uh, chemotherapy that, or radiation that she is about to undergo. Um, so in the scenario where someone is trying to preserve their fertility for social reasons, they don't have a partner, but they are uh, engaged in some other kind of activity, a business, education, or whatever, uh, the first stop would really be with a uh, reproductive endocrinologist such as Dr. Shapiro or myself um, to discuss the overall situation, and in particular, her ovarian reserve, which is where that woman falls on the spectrum of reproductive aging. Um, For example, some... Some women at age 35 will actually have quite a number of eggs and be fairly fertile, and other women at age 35 will, in fact, not be very fertile, but they may have no sign uh, whatsoever that that is going on. Uh, So that's an important first step. 
Okay, that makes sense because, yeah, uh, you've got to know where you're at. And, and uh, yeah, and, and it, age alone is, is not enough. Dr. Shapiro, how involved is the test for just determining you're first going in, you just want to know, do I need to be worried at this point? Do I need to freeze my eggs? Do I ha- How much time do I have left? How involved is that testing? Okay, well, the, the test itself is not involved at all. It's, uh, we're, we're typically using an anti-Mullerian with a U, M-U-L-L-E-R-I-A-N, Mullerian hormone, A-M-H. Um, the, there's no s- specific discriminatory level of AMH, though there's sort of a low, medium, high kind of thing going on with that. Um, there's a recent paper out of the European Union that said basically anybody with a number over three is fine. Anybody uh, with a number less than 1.3 uh, it probably is going to exhibit some degree of diminished ovarian reserve. And then people in that middle group probably don't have a whole lot to worry about, but they may not be as high responding as the people with a number over three. Uh, back to doc- what Dr. McShane said, though, age, even with a normal AMH, age still plays an incredibly important role in making this decision. So uh, you, when we draw an AMH, we can look at a number and we, we see that point in time, but we don't know what's going to be true in six months or a year. So if somebody's coming in to do that testing to find out whether or not they should go forward with fertility preservation, first they have to know what that number is. Then they need to hear from the doctor how many eggs they think they're going to be able to recover. And it's always a guess. And then, and this is the much more subtle part of this, they have to factor in their age because even if you're for, even if a 40-year-old makes 20 eggs, on average, only two or three of those eggs are going to be genetically competent to make a baby. So, where a 30-year-old making 10 eggs, maybe five of them are genetically competent. So you have to think not only about how many eggs you've got, you have to think about how effective those eggs will be when they're actually thawed out, inseminated, and transferred into a host uterus. So this is a very difficult calculation to make, and there's there's no... Frankly, there's no guidance. Um, in fact, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, when they took the experimental tag off about a year ago, they went out of their way to say that they do not actually formally endorse social freezing. And the reason that they said that was because there's frankly just not enough data on what happens to women when they come back to thaw the eggs out. We know we can right. freeze them, and we know that we can get good survival rates on those eggs. We can even get good, very good fertilization and developmental rates on the embryos that result. But there's there's such scant data on the birth rates and the outcomes from the use of those eggs that at this point um, our parent organization is not re- really ready to say, oh, yeah, everybody should just go and do this. Yeah. And we're going to talk about uh, that, I think, in detail in just a bit. Let's walk through. So let's assume that this woman is a good candidate for freezing her eggs, what would be okay. so she's going to go forward with it, uh, Dr. Shapiro? What would be the next step? That what does she? How involved is this process? The, well, the keeping process in mind that many in our audience are not familiar with the IVF sure. process. So yeah, this is uh, yeah. gotcha. So the yeah. the process is basically exactly the same as 
uh, stimulation for an egg retrieval with intent to do an embryo transfer. The one difference is, is because you know you're going to be doing uh, a frozen egg cycle, uh, at least with us, we prefer to use GnRH antagonists as the base drug. And the reason that that's important is that it allows you to use another class of drug called GnRH agonists to finish the cycles. So women, they'll decide that they're going to do this. The doctor knows the AMH. There may have been an ultrasound early uh, in the woman's cycle to determine what's called a basal angel follicle count to see about how many eggs we think are going to come up when the stimulation begins. And then with the woman's period, the uh, injectable drugs would begin. And it could be anywhere from one to three injections a day. Uh, and then that continues typically 10 to 12 days, <clears throat> after which uh, you have a reasonably good estimate of how many eggs you're going to collect, and the eggs that you plan to collect are probably ripe, at which point a final injection is taken that ripens the DNA of those eggs. Now, the final injection is absolutely critical, and this is where people can get into trouble, because if they're very high-responding patients, the use of the standard drugs, which contain the hormone HCG, those are the ones that are associated with one of the medical complications of going through this called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Um, if women use the alternative drug, which is uh, uh, in a class of drugs known as GnRH agonists, they're very, very, very unlikely to get sick no matter how many eggs they've made. Um, we've done, I don't know, four or 500 agonist uh, trigger cycles here. We haven't had a single case of hyperstimulation, and we we really believe that this is the best protection against the medical complications of the procedure. 36 hours after the final injection, the woman has her eggs collected in about a 10 to 15 minute procedure involving the passage of a very small needle uh, through the back wall of a very thin needle, I should say, through the back wall of the vagina directly into the ovaries under ultrasound guidance. And the eggs, typically, if they're ripe, are floating in the fluid uh, that we see on ultrasound in the ovaries, and we suck it out. And the eggs come with the fluid. We collect the eggs. The lab inspects them to make sure they're ripe. Then the eggs get dehydrated uh, about four hours after collection, and then they get flash frozen by a process known as vitrification. And to the best of our knowledge, once they're stored in the liquid nitrogen tank, they can, they can last indefinitely. It takes about All two right. weeks to do the thing. Okay, so we have injectable drugs, and then we have uh, usually under general anesthesia a um, a retrieval uh, through a vaginal retrieval, and uh, well, yep. through the vagina um, into the, the towards yep. the ovaries. All right, Doctor yep. Shane, do we go when you're stimulating a woman for egg freezing? Do you go for quantity of eggs, or do you try for just a few good eggs? And that's the, the research, you know, and, and what, what's the research showing as to the, the proper number, or, or do you just go for as many eggs as you can get, since you don't know what, you know what she's going to need in the future? Right. As Dr. Shapiro just mentioned, um, previous to the last, let's say, five years, we used to be concerned that if we overstimulated the woman, whether she were transferring the embryos right away or freezing uh, her eggs, that that would lead to complications. But in the current era, uh, I think we have a much greater level of security that um, the you know the number of eggs is not a high risk factor for 
for women. Having said that, there are only a certain number of eggs that are really available in any cycle right. of a woman's uh, menstrual life. And um, some women, as we mentioned earlier, would only have, let's say, 10 eggs, and others would have 30 to 50. So there's no uh, way to make someone who only presents with you know, with their ultrasound, with having 10 eggs, to suddenly have 50. Uh, and in general, we pretty much are aggressive, but not overly aggressive, trying to get a good number of eggs. Again, the age of the woman is a better predictor uh, of the quality of the eggs than any other factor. You know, and that, and I'm glad you brought up the issue of age again, because we have a question that I want to read from one of our audience. And it does seem to me, you know, just... Being in this field, talking, uh, and you know, we're in the education aspect and support, and there seems to be a bit of a catch-22. The younger women, who would probably be prime candidates, um, single women, are simply not thinking in terms of this. And and when they start beginning to think in terms of it, they tend to be at least the ones that we have not yet gotten the message down to younger women, it seems to me. Here's a question from Rosie. She said, I'm currently 38 and a half. I'm single and single and would really like to be married or in a serious relationship before I start a family. I haven't given up finding Mr. Wright yet. Am I too old to be successful with egg freezing? My periods are very regular and I am in great health. Dr. Shapira. Uh well, the answer the answer to that is um maybe and maybe not. I mean there's there's no easy way to answer that. Uh I'll say that the oldest patient we've ever had and it's only one lady one woman who ever conceived with eggs of her own that were frozen previously. She was 41 when the eggs were frozen. But just to illustrate the point, she had 23 eggs frozen, and uh, and she did do genetic testing on the resulting embryos that, that came from those eggs, and only two of them were normal. Uh, she did subsequently get pregnant and had a healthy delivery, but the the attrition rate, the rate of loss, was so high because of the genetics of the eggs. So in a 38-year-old, if you believe what's published, you know there's probably about 25% of the available eggs are going to be normal, and then there are a whole lot of other factors that go in to guesstimating whether an egg is going to result in a live birth. Um, so if the AMH in a 38-year-old is favorable, and we'd say over one and a half or two, um, if uh, uh, the basal antral follicle count is above 12, if the woman's in good health and understands that this is unfortunately not a well-validated technology, and we'd certainly be willing to go forward. But but back to the catch-22, um, the, the lower the AMH, the more people have to spend on the medication. And so the less likely this is to work, the more people wind up spending for the opportunity. And so, you know, there's there's no way to judge where the deflection point is, but but we have to bring up the cost of all of this to patients too, so that they're not overspending for uh, for negligible chance. I um, want I want to add that one ahead, can sorry. do more than one cycle as well. Right. Well, that, yeah, well that's, then, where but, the, that's where the cost really skyrockets. Yeah, because, I was going to say you know, our they're, estimate. Yeah, the cost. Yeah, that's right. That's and th that by our own estimates from our own egg freezing program and, and observation over the last five years, um, whatever the maximal chance of pregnancy is for any given patient, if they're going to get pregnant, it's going to happen within three embryo transfers. And just 
again, based on our own experience, to, to be really confident that you're going to get three meaningful embryo transfers at any age, there have to be between 12 and 18 eggs available. So if a 38-year-old can make 18 eggs on the very first try, great. But if she needs maximal dose of medication to get four eggs and do that four times in a row, that's not really very efficient. And we would try and we would try and talk somebody in that situation out of doing it. What does the, the other thing? Uh, go ahead, Dr. McShane. Go ahead. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Don, is I totally agree with you that I think as a society we haven't gotten this message across, and in fact we are giving the opposite message, which is. In every supermarket checkout line, there's a picture of a 40-something or 50-something-year-old movie star with twins. Right. And yeah. I think that the, you know, it's totally the woman's own business whether she discloses whether those are her own eggs. But certainly our um, uh, guesstimate is that very few of those. Uh, star, you know, 50-year-old starlets with twins are using their own mm -hmm. eggs, and it's um, it would be very welcome right. for someone to come forward and and make mm -hmm. this uh, their cause, like Angelina Jolie just did with uh, breast cancer. Yeah, I'm not yeah, holding Mar my Mar breath. Marsha Cross did. Marsha Cross did when she was 44. She said, "Yeah, they, of course these were donor eggs." But you know, actually, we make the joke here in Atlanta that of course they belong; those eggs belong to them because they paid for them fair and square. So, <laughs> you, you know, they, but yeah. you know, I get that question. I'm sure Dr. McShane gets the question all the time. People come in and you know, at 37, when we're delivering bad news, and they say, "But you know, what about so and so? She's 46, and her publicist said she got pregnant on her own." And I just say, if the publicist is announcing the pregnancy, that alone tells you <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that this is what it appears to be. Well, exactly. Um, one of the questions I have is uh, most of the research I've read on the success of egg freezing, that, that we can both not only freeze the eggs but, but also thaw them and, 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 then, and have them fertilize and then have them implant and have them grow. Uh, and then have them give, you know, grow for the full nine months and give birth to a healthy baby. Most of that research that I've seen, anyway, has been done on eggs retrieved from much younger women who were donating their eggs to another couple. So these were women yeah. in their prime childbearing uh, time, or not childbearing, but prime egg health time in their early 20s. I, I don't really remember, but it would probably be in their early 20s. Has there has there been any research on on the ultimate success when and by measuring success i would say live birth rate of for people who are freezing their eggs when they are 38 dr mcshane do you know of any research um, well as as dr shapiro said earlier that is much more difficult information to obtain because by definition the women the women who are undergoing this are wishing to wait uh, to preserve their fertility. So right. uh, they may not come back for a number of years, or in fact, they may find a partner uh, and get pregnant and never use their right. frozen eggs. So, And the rapid change in the technology has made it even more difficult because eggs that were frozen 10 years ago, of which there are a few, uh, are not um, likely to give us the same results that the more recently frozen or vitrified uh, eggs are. So I think uh, it's very difficult to, 
you know, really be able to accurately counsel someone undergoing fertility preservation uh, what their outcomes will be. Well, that, that, That's okay, right. So let's, thinking in terms of, of Rosie, okay, she's 38 and a half, and we don't know anything about her, her reproductive age. Would it make more sense, and I realize that there are social issues here that, 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 that this is not ideal for her, but would it make more sense for her to harvest her eggs and, and uh, donate, not donate, sorry, retrieve her eggs, uh, and rather than freezing the eggs, uh, use donor sperm to uh, fertilize the eggs and then for, and then freeze embryos. Dr. Shapiro, does that is there any advantage to an older woman who is listening to this show thinking about I want to freeze my eggs to be thinking in terms of I should be maybe using donor sperm and freeze my embryos? In in terms of the ultimate outcome of the procedure, the the fair answer to that question is no. Uh, but that's not the classic answer. Uh, the classic answer is that you're better off freezing embryos rather than eggs. But in the last three or four years, I would say that's no longer true. Um, the the problem, of course, with women who are at 37, 38, 39 years of age without a partner is, is that it's exactly what Dr. McShane said. They're hoping to freeze their eggs so that when a partner comes along at 40, 41, or 42, they don't have to rely on their inherent fertility. They can go back to the 38-year-old eggs. Um, right. Under those circumstances, the partner coming along at 42 is likely not to have been the sperm donor that they used to make embryos. And right. so those those frozen embryos are likely to wind up abandoned or never used. So we, we really counsel against that. Um, th there is data on women using their own eggs. In fact, there was a publication in Fertility and Sterility uh, just this past month that looked at the impact of age on autologous egg freezing, meaning freezing your own eggs, and it said exactly what we expected, which is that the outcomes are going to be age-dependent. Uh, when we did this about five years ago, our lab director, Dr. Naj, we did a, it's called a sibling oocyte study where half the eggs were inseminated immediately, half were frozen immediately, thawed immediately, and then inseminated four hours later. And then we did transfer of the embryos that arose from the eggs that had gone through the freeze-thaw cycle. And we did that up to age 39. And all of these patients were very, very carefully selected for high AMH, non-ovarian diagnoses for infertility, and, uh, and healthy husbands. And up to age 39, there most definitely were pregnancies. But... These were extremely well-selected candidates who had high AMH scores and who were, in, who were infertile on the basis of something other than an egg problem. So, you know, the answer to Rosie, the 38-year-old, is, yeah, this can work with your frozen eggs, but here are the conditions that really need to be met for this to be worthwhile. And there are certainly 38-year-olds who meet those conditions. Um, but unfortunately, there are an awful lot who don't. And as you said before, there's no way to know in advance. So when people come in to ask the question, they have to be prepared to hear that they're not great candidates for the procedure. And it's a very hard conversation to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, let me go ahead and read this. Uh, since we're now talking about age, and I think that might uh, factor in uh, to this, Here's a question from Lindsay. She said, I don't know if I'm typical or not of women considering freezing their eggs, but I'm 31, newly married. My husband and I want to be married a while before we have kids, and we want to have time in our 30s to pursue our careers. 
We think we'd like to start our families when I'm around 40. Egg freezing seems like the perfect solution. When I saw the topic for this show, I thought you and your guest would have an opinion on this idea. What do you think? All right, so Lindsay is 31 and uh, would like to, in an ideal world, wait until she's 40 uh, to start her family. Dr. McShane, any thoughts for Lindsay? Well, uh, again, five years ago, I would have told Lindsay and her husband to freeze their embryos uh, because the technology for freezing eggs was not nearly as dependable as it is now. Um, I think it's a little bit more difficult uh, now because we do have more robust technology, but there isn't a lot of advantage to freezing uh, embryo to freezing eggs rather, um, assuming that you're still going to be married to the same person in 10 years. Um, and even in fertility preservation for chemotherapy for cancer patients. Uh, often women will opt to freeze some of their embryos, uh, from some of, you know, because they have a partner, but also some of their eggs, which gives them an added security that no matter what happens, um, they do still have some of their, their own eggs. Um, so that is a, a, probably a little more complicated answer than what you were <laughs> expecting. I don't think the technology is pointing us clearly in one direction at this point any longer. And I'd be interested to hear what Dr. Shapiro has to say. Yeah, weigh in on this, Dr. Shapiro. Um, we, we would look at, at, at the 31-year-old um, in a stable relationship who wanted to freeze eggs where the husband thought that was a great idea. We would think that that was a great idea. And we would do the same testing that we've talked about already. We'd do the AMH, and then we would confirm with a basal antral follicle count, and if it all looked favorable, uh, we do an appropriate stimulation, collect the eggs, and vitrify them. Um, that, in, in many ways, that's the perfect candidate. It's the, it's the person who is developing a life plan, isn't under pressure, has really thought through, you know, the, the multiple scenarios they could experience over the next 10 years, who's saying, okay, this isn't an absolute necessity, but this is my insurance policy. I realize that all I'm doing is buying insurance, and it's not even perfect insurance, but I'd rather this than discover at age 40 when I try on my own that, there's, that it's not going to work. How and much so does we would the insurance sell, policy we, of egg freezing cost, say, for somebody who is, uh, you know, I guess, if, you, uh, give me a range because I realize that, that it, it matters how, how much uh, of the uh, ovulatory stimulation medicine we have to use. But so give me a range. But how much does this insurance policy? How much would it cost Lindsay to uh, be able to wait uh, with some degree of hope that she might actually be able to conceive at forty, uh, Dr. Shapiro? Oh, it depends on the practice. We our uh, network of egg banks uh, typically charges about seven thousand dollars for the procedure, and then the drug cost is, of course, quite variable. Um, uh, we do have a, a program where actually if a relative wants to give it as a gift, the, we offer the, a discount even on those fees. Um, I know that uh, uh, in New York, at, uh, one of the bigger programs that does this routinely, uh, they charge, I think, $12,000 for the egg freeze uh, without the cost of the medication. I've uh, seen a couple of things online when I've been 
patrolling the internet that's say four or five thousand dollars. So I think there's quite a bit of variability. Um, uh, the average cost is probably you know high single digit thousands, like six, seven, eight thousand dollars to to do the procedure. That's a guess. And then what? one has to factor in yeah. the cost at the other end as well. Once they're right. thawed, inseminated, cultured in the laboratory, and then transferred, so that adds on several more, probably close to five thousand, uh, if right. ICSI is used. And I would like to just go back to our thirty-one-year-old uh, uh, woman um, and say that I would definitely have her husband's sperm checked, and also one potential thing that could happen is that something could happen to his fertility in the next 10 years so that when she thaws her eggs uh, at age 40 that in fact his fertility which may be normal now is not you know is no longer although unless it's zero usually we can work with those sperm so that's one more little asterisk to think about on this whole process that's a really good point and one I hadn't necessarily thought of and it might argue to do both then, freeze some embryo and freeze some yep. eggs, if you, assuming you get enough uh, eggs well, that you've got an option. If if I if I could weigh in very quickly on that, if there is a sperm problem, then there's a whole lot of counseling that needs to go on, obviously, in this couple. But um, I think in that scenario, I, if they're really intending to delay fertility that long, we might freeze sperm independently, but I think we would still counsel people against freezing embryos. And and the reason is, has more to do with what happens when uh, marriage fails. We've, we have most definitely had scenarios here where even though our contracts and our consent forms clearly tell patients what where the patient has to choose, what the disposition of those embryos are going to be should the marriage not continue, Mm-hmm. It, they still get contested, and the obvious way to avoid that is to not make the embryos in the first place, or the so, death of uh, a partner. Right, death, that that which that comes up too. We've had not in this exact scenario was with frozen sperm, where uh, a where it had not been stipulated in the will or any of the signed and notarized documents that the. Uh, husband wanted his sperm used to create children posthumously, um, but he had tried to go through IVF with his wife. Sperm samples had been frozen before he went through chemo. He did die, and then she wanted to go through IVF with the frozen sperm samples, but he had not specifically said, if I die, go ahead and use the sperm. And so we had to wait for everybody to weigh in on this, the lawyers, the the executor of the estate, both families, mm-hmm. We worked. It worked out, but it, it wasn't very straightforward. And so, uh, the the less you have the possibility for entanglement down the road, the better, I think. And and freezing of just eggs or just sperm is a lot less complicated than if embryos are in the mix. And and just before we stop talking about, I wanted to circle around. Uh, would it be fair to say that we've got a range of anywhere from, let's say, five to twelve thousand for the actual procedure, plus the drugs, which would be what another four, five thousand? Well, it could, could be right. much less yeah. than that. But less, again, yeah. The, the, yeah, the more it costs, the less likely it is to work. So, if somebody's looking at a six or seven thousand dollar bill just to get one retrieval, it's probably not worth it to even consider going forward. Um, the typical drug cost is about 3000 for a standard cycle, though. 
So we're talking probably some just rough ranges here for people who are listening, uh, ten to fifteen thousand. And uh, and yep. and I very much appreciate what Dr. McShane said is that we also have to add the cost of IV, the, the cost at the other end for fertilization and and transfer. Uh, it, but people don't tend to, in my experience, consider that cost because they figure they'll be, you know, that's tomorrow's problem. Well, you know, that when I'm 40, I'll be able to have saved for a couple of years. Uh, so from that standpoint, people just don't tend to worry about it. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about egg freezing. Creating a Family has the largest infertility and adoption communities on the social network, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect with me at Dawn Davenport One, or at, you can connect with us at Creating a Family, all one word. On Facebook, there are three ways to connect with us. One is if you want to connect with me personally, Dawn Davenport One. You can also connect uh, by joining or liking, I guess, our Facebook page, Creating a Family, and we also have a very active Creating a Family Facebook support group. Uh, you can find either the support group or the page by typing in the words creating a family in the Facebook search box where you can join the group and like the page. Um, another uh, another cost that people have to consider that I think people often don't consider is the cost of, of freezing uh, these eggs for whatever period of time they need to be remain frozen, um, and that will be until uh, you're, you know that you no longer uh, uh, have any interest in, um, in in having getting pregnant, uh, Doctor uh, McShane? Do you and this may not be up your uh, your area of expertise, but do you have any uh, idea what the typical annual uh, cryopreservation fee would be for eggs? It's usually in the hundreds of dollars, and I know um, whether we have frozen embryos, sperm, eggs, um, what we're trying to do is obviously recoup the expenses of the system of um, liquid nitrogen and the security and the bookkeeping and so on. And also a little bit of a reminder to people so that it's not unduly burdensome, but also that we keep uh, track of where people are so that if we we have a, you know, a billing system, that's kind of a oh, yeah, I have that frozen sperm or eggs or embryos. Um, so it functions in both ways for us. That's a valid point. Yes, especially a valid point with uh, with embryos, although I suppose from a legal standpoint it's it's complicated either way. So what is the typical demographic that you see? Who is the typical woman? Dr. Shapiro, you mentioned that you, you uh, I think you, I can't remember now if you said it before, uh, before we, when you and I were chatting before or if you said it on uh, once we were live. Uh, what is the, uh, that a lot of people are, are calling, asking for information, not, not everybody is going through with it, obviously, but um, of the people who are calling for information, who are you typically seeing? Is it, is it the uh, under 30 single woman or is it the, you know, 38-year-old, Married woman, or I guess probably not 38-year-old married woman, but, you know, a 38-year-old or somewhere in between. What is it that you're seeing usually? It's 37 to 38 years old and um, recently experienced some kind of psychological or social shock to the system. Unfortunately, that is the profile. Um, somebody who uh, was in a relationship that recently ended or somebody who lost a partner uh, to death or disease, or uh, somebody who 
lost their job and they're trying to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life, um, or somebody who's been you know saddled with a with a malignant or a fertility threatening diagnosis. Um, uh, we do see some people uh, who are just kind of casually thinking about it, but the people who are casually thinking about it usually don't feel any stress or pressure to get it done. Um, and they're really just inquiring by phone or they're asking what web resources they can use to get more information about the process. So, But the people who are really making the appointments, coming in to talk, something's going on, and they're usually 37 or 38 so uh, or older even. Um, we are therefore in a position where not only do we have to give them the medical information, but we have to be sensitive to the fact that, that they're probably in, experiencing a great deal of stress about something else that has made them cognizant of their limited fertility. And, you know, we want to help, obviously, but at the same time, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting sort of uh, uh, position to be in because we don't want to sell, well, we don't want to sell snake oil to somebody who's vulnerable, frankly, to to the sales pitch when uh, when there are limits to what's really possible. So when these conversations take place, you know, we have to consider, is the stress enough to make you you know, not do this? Is the stress enough to make you do this and understand the consequences of the choice? Um, we don't require psychological counseling before people go through this, but we, we certainly recommend that people be in touch with a counselor if they are under a lot of stress when they're trying to make this decision. Um, but it, typically the average age is 37 or 38. Dr. McShane, do you see anything different in your practice? Because that's exactly what I – with the people who are asking – uh, they tend to be, that's about the age that I'm seeing it as well. Yes, for social egg freezing. Obviously for uh, oncofertility, for uh, preservation prior to chemotherapy, one can see even teenagers who um, have, you know, are, are barely sexually mature, you know, trying to make this very, very difficult decision. But in the social uh, egg freezing realm, I, I agree with what um, Dr. Shapiro said. Well, I'm actually glad you brought up. We are getting ready to do a show uh, fourth quarter. I believe it's in October, but uh, for those of you listening, sign up for our, if you want to get notice of when the show is going to be, um, it's uh, Getting Pregnant After Cancer. Uh, and uh, we've got a great lineup of experts, uh, uh, reproductive endocrinologists and oncologists, um, and so we'll be talking about that, but I do want to uh, you can sign up for the uh, our newsletter on the top left side of any page of our website, creatingafamily.org. Uh, but I did want to, in this show, touch briefly on, because uh, uh, egg freezing is a huge boon to a woman, well, and sperm freezing for men, but, but uh, egg freezing is a huge boon for women who have been diagnosed with uh, cancer. And Dr. Shapiro, I would assume that it would be any cancer that where uh, radiation or chemotherapy would be utilized, not just gynecological cancers or uh, ovarian cancers that would uh, obviously uh, dictate the removal of the ovary. Would that be correct that all cancers, that anyone with a cancer diagnosis should be considering this or not? Um, uh, well, I, I, ironically, people who have gynecologic malignancies, we tend to tell them not to do this. It's, it's usually all the other malignancies 
um, that do not require immediate chemo or immediate surgery or immediate radiation. Um, the, the number one question we ask when somebody who wishes to do fertility preservation uh, with a recent cancer diagnosis is, can you delay the chemo or the radiation or the surgery a couple of weeks to get the fertility preservation case complete? And the oncologists are obviously very much involved in these conversations, and, and sometimes the answer is no. And when yeah. that's the case, which is typical for some of the blood-borne cancers, then obviously we don't do this. So as a general rule, the cancers that <clears throat> that we see that uh, don't require immediate attention, they tend to be solid tumors, they tend to be non-ovarian uh, and non-uterine, um, uh, we've had some patients who've had breast cancer diagnosis and their receptor status is favorable so that it's not, there's no specific risk to high levels of estrogen for a short period of time. And, uh, and they've probably already had the surgery and then they're delaying the chemo and they're usually node negative too. And then they're delaying the chemo before, uh, in order to do the fertility preservation, then they're going to go through chemo for the breast cancer. Um, that's typically who we see. Uh, but, you know, somebody with AML or one of the leukemias that requires immediate chemo, we can't we can't treat them safely. And so we, we have to say no to that, of course. Yeah, I'm really the, glad, Don, that you have this show coming up because this is very complicated, as you can tell by the, rea- the response you just got. It really <laughs> depends on the... On uh, the total care of the of the cancer uh, patient and their, um, you know, what organs will be affected, radiation, um, whether pregnancy will uh, make their uh, uh, survival shortened, and so on and so forth. So it takes a team effort. Sometimes mm-hmm. a geneticist plus their medical oncologist, their surgeon and a reproductive medicine specialist to really put this together properly. And I will say that we've done uh, one show on this exact, uh, exactly what you just mentioned, um, what to do uh, when you have been diagnosed with cancer and are trying to uh, determine whether this is an option. And we talked about all of the the, the, the nuances and all the things you need to think about. Let me also mention, uh, just so that for people in the audience who might not know, if you if if this is an issue for you and you uh, are trying to, and, and we're frightened by the cost we just mentioned, I should say that there are a lot of options, uh, and your oncologist or your reproductive uh, endocrinologist, there are a lot of grant options available for cancer patients, and I know uh, Faring, which is the underwriter of this show, uh, provides uh, for, uh, and I don't know the details, but is able to provide uh, free uh, medication uh, under their uh, Heartbeat program. Uh, and you can go on to heartbeatprogram.com, I believe it is, uh, to get information uh, on uh, low-cost or no-cost uh, medication. So I don't want to frighten people after we talked about uh, the, you know, the cost I, and then, yeah. We should mention Fertile Hope as well because the yep. um, conventional insurance coverage has become much, much uh, more uh, available than it was previously, and Fertile Hope, I think, is a good resource to learn about that. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Uh, yeah, I should have as well. So there's lots of, of, of opportunity and, 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 and resources out there for you. Um, so what is the success rate 
for uh, uh, pregnancy right now for frozen eggs, and, and because I think that ultimately it should drive the whole show. So, Dr. McShane, just and it probably depends on uh, who is doing the freezing. But can you give me a range of what the success rate is? Uh, well, if are we now speaking about uh, donor eggs, Don, or are we still back in the uh, autologous? Let's say social. autologous, and then we're moving at this point. Mm-hmm. We, then we, the next step is to move into donor eggs, but no, right. just autologous. And if it's fair to say, if you've got to dep- say, it depends on the age, because I can imagine that that would be the case. That's my first <laughs> first reaction. Is it depends on the age of the woman and the number of the eggs and the kinds of um, drop off or uh, survival as if you will, of the eggs, um, as uh, Dr. Shapiro mentioned earlier, is is definitely true for both fresh IVF as well as frozen egg uh, IVF. Um, it, you know, we lose uh, along the process the majority of the eggs to either um, failed development or that they're not genetically normal. So it does take usually around three eggs for every good embryo and then depending on the age, uh, how good that embryo will actually be. Okay. Yeah. So that, yeah. And Dr. Shapiro, anything before we move on to donor egg? No, that that pretty much sums it up. I mean, that's, okay. I would agree with that. It just depends. Uh, you know, as with everything in fertility, age is, is you know, age is, is, is critical there. Um, we got a number of questions uh, on utilizing egg banks for donor egg. Now, Let's just briefly, uh, Dr. Shapiro, if you could just briefly summarize the difference. We've been talking about donating your own eggs uh, for yourself, for your own use. But now we're talking about something different. We're talking about using, you already, for whatever reason, uh, you are going to need, you as the the couple or the woman is going to need donor egg. Her own eggs are are not doing the trick. She's not getting pregnant with those. So she needs donor eggs. How does that process differ than than donating uh, your own eggs. Right. Well, now it, it it for all of the egg banks in the U.S. right now, there are a couple of things that are uh, that we all have in common. And number one is is that we don't have to coordinate the cycles anymore. So uh, in uh, traditional egg donation, the donor is selected either out of the practice's own roster or from an agency. And the donor simulation is run at the same time that the recipient's uterine prep cycle is run. And the timing has to be exactly right. And the start of the progesterone in the recipient has to be coordinated with the timing of the egg retrieval in the donor. And then the eggs would be inseminated uh, several hours uh, after they were recovered. Embryos would then be cultured fresh and then one or two embryos would be replaced on day three or five into the recipient's uterus. And then the recipient would stay on her hormone prep uh, and await the results of the cycle. With a with an egg bank, the eggs are already there. The donors have already gone through their cycles. They've already been recovered. Uh, the eggs are already frozen, and they're generally listed either on a website or a general roster or whatever. And the recipients who go to those egg banks simply pick their donor, and then once their workup is complete, they can begin their uterine prep whenever they want. So with egg banking, one, the donor can donate when she wants. The recipient can go through the procedure whenever she wants. Um, The eggs that you have frozen, you already know, are ripe and good. 
unlike a fresh cycle where, and we've all had this experience over the years, where a donor looks good on paper, but then everything's a dud. But with with an egg freezing model, you don't freeze the eggs unless they're ripe and they look right. And so only the best eggs wind up in the bank. Um, that minimizes the you know the bad outcome in the embryology side, um, and it also gives the lab flexibility if there's enough eggs on that donor to dip into the into the freezer and pull out an extra egg or two if the initial thaw doesn't go so well. Which you can't do that with a fresh cycle. What you get is what you get. Um, the other thing about frozen uh, egg banking is is that it's a it's a very fancy way of doing a donor split. So there's some practices now that will coordinate one fresh donor to two or three recipients all at the same time. With egg freezing, you're effectively doing the same thing, but it doesn't have to be concurrent. You you could take care of three or four recipients with one egg donation, but it could happen over many months or even years. Uh, because the cost of the donor cycle is the same, whether it's fresh or frozen, if you have multiple recipients sharing the, that cost, the overall cost of each cycle from an egg bank is going to be a lot less. And that's the other big advantage of egg banking is that the, the cost to the recipient is much, much less than using an, an agency uh, and a fresh donor program. Uh, and this, of course, is what's been driving patients to the egg banks is they're, they're saying, well, gee, this costs half or less of what a fresh cycle would cost at practice X. Why, why am I not using frozen eggs? And the answer is you should. Um, there are some downsides, though. The downside is is that uh, typically the egg lots are limited in number. And so if you're looking to build a large family from a single donor, it may not be possible or as, as easy as it would be as if you did a fresh donation and, say, the donor produced 20 eggs. Because with an egg bank, you're going to get probably six, seven, maybe eight eggs per egg lot. That's one of the main reasons why the cost is so much less is because the eggs are being divided among many recipients. But but the big thing is the convenience factor, uh, the the convenience factor and the lower cost, and convenient for everybody, donor, recipient, for the the practice itself. It's also safer because there's no conflicts of interest over completing a cycle that really shouldn't go forward. If a donor's stimulation is going poorly, you can cancel the cycle and there isn't anybody sitting there anxious and, and hopeful at the other end, waiting for that retrieval to happen. Um, uh, that takes a huge burden off of the donors, takes a huge burden off of the practices, and also takes some of the pressure off of the recipients. So we obviously like the egg banking model. We've pretty much given up our fresh program. We do almost no fresh donation anymore. Uh, but, you know, and there's a role for it, but it's, we think, going forward, very limited. Can I can I make a, another comment, which is that oftentimes the recipient couple might be a couple in their 40s, and sometimes one or both of them have kids from another marriage. They do right. not want necessarily to have four children from one egg yeah, retrieval, they want but they don't want to throw away five embryos either. So the right. the uh, scenario of having six embryos is wonderful. Uh, if you had 30 eggs, but if you don't want to have a bunch of kids um, and you also don't want to throw them away, uh, then then having had only six or seven eggs at the beginning may give you exactly what you're looking for. Um, and, and another little piece which we haven't talked about is that egg freezing 
um, is good for for couples who don't wish to generate many embryos with their own IVF cycle. And I know there are some people who don't wish to do that. They would rather have us uh, create, you know, uh, embryos with three eggs, let's say, but now in the current era we don't have to throw away the other seven or 12 eggs. We can actually freeze them. So that, I think, we don't tend to talk about that much, but that is uh, actually a wonderful thing for some couples. I am glad you raised that. For whatever reason, and I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's because we are uh, we're creating a family is a safe place to ask these questions. Uh, we get a lot of questions from couples who, in fact, I blogged on this topic uh, not very long ago for a question uh, somebody asked us. I'm very I'm very religious. Can I do IVF? And some variation on that. I really do get that question a lot, and I I. And, and egg freezing is a has been wonderful for couples like uh, who are, and usually now sometimes I mean it's not going to help any if your uh, if your religion is uh, forbidding the uh, conception of a child outside of the of the human body then that's not going to help you any. But if you are concerned about having excess embryos, um, which a fair number of people are concerned about, um, and they don't necessarily talk about it with their doctors for fear of not having a good reception. But egg freezing is a wonderful option because you can create the number of embryos that you feel comfortable transferring, uh, and uh, and then and then keep the other eggs frozen, and, and and then go back if you need it because people don't have the same objection to eggs, uh, discarding eggs that they do with embryos. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought that up. I had not thought Bye. to mention it. My feeling about uh, fertility practices that for every couple sitting in front of me, there are probably two others who, for whatever reason, didn't make it in because they either don't care for our technology, um, it's too burdensome, or it doesn't fit their religious or ethical feelings. So I think this is just another great option for people. I agree, yep. but I will say that oftentimes the people who think that it's not it, that they're going to be ethical issues simply don't know that there there are options for them, um, egg freezing and being one of them. That I mean, there are just options available, and sometimes their avoidance is is based on ignorance. Sometimes it's not. Um, we did get a question from Elizabeth and and Dr. Shapiro. You've more or less answered, but uh, she's basically wanting to know she is looking for uh, egg donor, and she is uh, trying to figure out from a cost standpoint uh, how uh, 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 banked eggs compare. And and just to repeat what you said, basically, is it about half the cost? Was that did I hear you correctly? Well, yes, um, or less. I mean, it really depends on where you're talking, what, what the, com the comparison fresh donation center is. So let's take, for example, a center in Metro New York where there's very few uh, uh, donors being screened by practices. They're mostly agency donors. And so there's an agent plus the practice plus the donor fee Plus, in some of these centers, there and then the drugs for the donor, and then in some of these centers, to limit the number of available embryos, once the egg retrieval is done and the insemination is done, they're also doing uh, uh, comparative genomic hybridization, genetic testing on the embryos to eliminate the genetic abnormals so that when they get around to doing a transfer, uh, they only have a handful of embryos available. And when you add all that up, 
it's somewhere between, including the agent's fees, it's somewhere between forty-four and $50,000 in some examples. Um, if you compare that to an egg banking model where uh, where the the price is basically split among all the recipients because the donors, you know, are split, then the range of fees that I've seen are as low as like $14,500 for a basic cycle, not including the prep meds, but still that's pretty that's pretty good deal, up to maybe 19 to 20 in a couple of uh, a couple of other centers. Um when you when you sit down and you make that kind of comparison, you know, it could be even one third of the total cost if you use an egg bank. And the, here, the the other point is very important: is that that where egg banking has been perfected, the live birth rate per embryo transfer is the same as the fresh cycle rate. You know, the 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 AS or the, uh, the SART SART has published fresh cycle donor rates for 12 years, and the number has not deviated from 55% on average over the whole of the United States at all in 11 years, 12 years. It's 55%, 55%, 55%, 55% per embryo transfer. If you look at single embryo transfer pregnancy rates from uh, from some of the egg banks, they're hitting right at about 50 to 60%. And on double embryo transfer, they're higher. Now we're 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 talking people out of double embryo transfer, but still the rates are statistically identical to the fresh cycles, and there are no leftovers, as Doctor uh, McShane pointed out, which means you know it's the one and done phenomenon, where there's no there's no baggage so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, in the aftermath of the cycle, and that's very appealing to a lot of the patients who are coming in. It is. I think they're right. Um, we have a question from Lucy. Uh, she's asking how much information would be available on the donor, and then she also, and later in her question, she's wanting to know uh, how many other families, how many half-siblings she would need to be worried about that would be out there as as a typical thing. Uh, Dr. McShane, uh, how much, let's start with her first question, how much information is available to families on the donor? Uh, well, that will vary by the bank, and it's usually f- specified fairly uh, readily on the websites of the different banks or in the case of a uh, of a practice by the donor coordinator or the physicians. Um, the, the donors, of course, are carefully screened medically before they ever show up as a potential donor candidate. So someone, let's say, with... Uh, an active medical disease like diabetes would not even show up. So one doesn't have to be concerned about that. Um, in most cases, uh, there's some sort of a uh, scoring system for family history of genetic diseases so that if one's uh, brother had you know, uh, autism, for example, that, or one's mother had depression, or, you know, these kinds of things might... Um, make someone be ineligible. So those those questions should be um, you know asked of the of the practice or the um, donor agency. As far as uh, the physical appearance of the donor, that's generally fairly straightforward: um, hair color, eye color, uh, height, and pictures? weight. What about pictures? Most many many agencies provide either current or um, younger age pictures. 
of the donors, which some patients definitely want uh, those pictures and so on. So it varies by the agency. Um, the kinds of, of uh, occupational things, um, et cetera, those, those vary also, whether the donor is a teacher or a, um, uh, you know, uh, nurse or something of that nature. Before we get to her second question, let me interject a question from, I think it's Suzanne. Um, is it possible through the an egg bank to have a known donor or have a donor that agrees to contact? Dr. Shapiro. Yes. Um, though, uh, you know, it, it, our egg bank network does business in Washington State, which has uh, – uh, one of our partner centers is in Seattle, and so the Washington statute requires that donors actually opt out of dis if they want to opt out of disclosure um, to the adult offspring resulting from their donation. So to the recipient, there's not, uh, at least currently in our network, a mechanism for disclosure through the network. But there is a mechanism for disclosure, unless the donor specifies otherwise, um, there is a mechanism for disclosure to the adult offspring resulting from the donation. So that's an issue for 18 years down the road. Um, right. Uh, but there are ways that people do figure out who their donor is, but the donor is basically consenting to being contacted. There are websites and various uh, 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 blogs and, and tumblers and the like where people can go on, say they were a donor, say where they donated, give their donor number if they know it, and say, here I am, you're welcome to come find me. And mm -hmm. there have been quite a few matches made that way uh, outside of the banks, sperm or egg. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's there's a lot of that in sperm banking. Egg banking is so new that mm -hmm. that hasn't really happened a lot yet. Um, I'll tell you that we've seen because we're we're freezing eggs all over the United States now. We're seeing regional differences in attitude. So in the South, where we where the primary site was, where RBA is located, the donors clearly wish to remain anonymous. There, some of them even reluctant to show the baby pictures, but they do. Um, <clears throat> but they clearly do not want their adult pictures posted. They want their identities protected. In the Pacific Northwest, there's much less stress about that, and many of the donors are perfectly happy to be identified. Um, in Metro Boston. It's a little bit more like it is in Atlanta. Uh, some other places where we have clinics that are uh, uh, partnered with us to use the eggs, we're seeing a mixed bag. The farther west you go, the more open people seem to be. The farther east you go, the more they button up their, their collars and, you know, want to keep you know, it private. We also see that we're a national organization as well. And we also see the desire of families to have uh, a donor that allows contact uh, or a known donor, or not known, but a, a, a non-anonymous donor, uh, also varies regionally. Um, we are running out of time. I did want to get to, uh, I don't remember who it was, now, Elizabeth's uh, second question, which is the, the concern about consang consanguinity. I always have to say that just because I'm able to, you know, and I always stress, <laughs> am I going to get it out right? And, uh, and I'm trying to show you off. You did. Yeah, yeah, I did, but I'm really just doing it to show off. The uh, the fear of half-siblings 
Um, and uh, her concern was she uh, did not want to. She was worried. Is that a if, if somebody is significantly worried and that is a, a concern, uh, Doctor McShane, should they not go through egg banking? Because is there a way to control that um, uh, that there won't be uh, uh, other families who are using eggs from the same donor? <laughs> Um, there typically is not a way to control, um, to say I want a donor who is only going to uh, donate once or twice. Um, but in fact, I would be, I think, less concerned about consanguinity with an egg banking model than I would right. be with a practice-based um, donation model. In other words, if in my doctor's practice in Boston, let's say, uh, where the um, donors are being used, you know, a number of times for different recipients, those kids are possibly likely to land in high school together uh, 20 years from now, you know, whatever, 15 right. years from now, yeah. more likely than if the half the eggs are going to Seattle and the other half are going to Florida, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So I guess I would have less concern about consanguinity in the banking model than in the uh, fresh uh, practice-based right. or location-based it, model. If, if, if I if I may, we this is a very hot topic in our egg banking network, actually, and there there are ways to safeguard against it. But um, there is actually it's an ancient calculation that was done for Atlanta by uh, some uh, an intern who worked at CDC in the late 90s, asking that question: What's the risk of if the, at what level of production would a donor need to be for the risk of consanguinity to be one in a thousand? And for a metro area the size of Atlanta, one donor would have to produce 96 babies, was what the calculation was in 1998. So the risk is obviously incredibly low, but, um, but there are ways to defend against it. One, limit the number of families in one geographic area that can use a donor, and egg banking allows us to track that. So we do that. Six in a metro area, ten nationwide is the way we do it. Um, and then the other part of it is it, it little controversial for some people, but tell your child their origins. If you say to your child from a young age, we loved the idea of you so much that this is the lengths we went to, and you are the product of donor number, you know, 18765 from my egg bank in 2014, then they can look lovingly into the eyes of their intended 30 years down the road and say, this is who I am. Who are you? And, you know, if everybody's, if everybody's telling the truth, and I think more and more that's going to be the case, then you're going to know who your half-siblings are before you accidentally marry them. Uh, and the I other think part we're this, all going to know that yeah. based on a drop of blood in a few years anyway. So. I well, that's so. exactly what I was going to say is, you know, we're uh, doing the, the real risk of consanguinity is not what we call the Alabama problem in Atlanta. It's the, uh, <laughs> we call it's it the Arkansas uh, and, yeah, problem. We say that without right, shame, yeah, I might add. It's, um, it's that there may be some very rare recessive disease that would never have come out. But if you put people who are that closely related together – a very rare and debilitating disease could emerge. Now, yeah. the more co- there are there are ways now to do genetic testing to exclude donors who carry those diseases. It is not foolproof, but it does dramatically reduce the overall risk. So there are lots of ways this risk is becoming sort of a non-issue. 
And let me just take a, a moment to say that we do provide at Creating a Family lots and lots of resources to help you talk with your children um, about uh, their conception and how they came to be, uh, regardless whether it's IVF, third party, surrogacy, or whatever. We we have lots and lots of resources. Uh, let me take just uh, one moment to thank one more of our gold sponsors. It is through their generous support that we can bring you this show, uh, and uh, and, we, and I just want to thank them. Uh, Cryos International, a New York sperm bank, which is part of the world's largest international network of sperm, sperm banks. Cryos offers donor sperm and semen storage services with the ability to ship specimen to more than 65 countries. Well, we have come to the end of our time. This has been such a fascinating show. Thank you so much, Dr. Chappelle. Pyro and McShane for being our guest today on Creating a Family. Uh, if you want to participate in a discussion on this topic, you can check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. To get more information, and I know that there will be a lot of people now who want more information, uh, on My Egg Bank, you can go to their website, which is myeggbank.com. To get more information on the World's Egg Bank, you can go to their website, which is theworldeggbank.com. I am so thankful you have easy uh, <laughs> URLs. And, uh, yes. Is there, uh, Dr. McShane, is there some other way that uh, if people wanted to just reach and talk with you that uh, other than through uh, the World Egg Bank uh, that they can reach you? Do you want to give out that URL? Um, P. McShane at theworldeggbank.com. Okay, perfect. And uh, Dr. Shapiro, do you want me to give out the RBA uh, URL as well, or you want sure. any other? Okay, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I if, get contacted through RBA. Yeah, yeah. And if you just want to talk our, with, our, go ahead. Well, no, it's it's rbaonline.com, uh, but it's uh, 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 rba-online.com. But um, we don't have physician access through the website, so. But the contact information is on that website. So if patients wanted to call in uh, uh, after checking the web, we'd be or happy something to talk they can, they can, can, yeah, they can or, yeah, or casual phone call, too, is fine. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Take care, Don. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send him our condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.